in this Advent season, you know, the, the, the theme of the season makes much of the presence of angels interacting with humans. They, they announce things. They, they warn. They sing about things. But there are some other truths about angels that I thought you would appreciate knowing this morning. They are gleaned from that fountain of theological truth. Children. Oliver, age nine, says, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but scientists are working on it. (laughs) Mitchell, who is age seven, says that angels work for God and they watch over kids when God has got to do something else. Daniel, age nine, says that angels talk all the way while they're flying you up to heaven. The main subject is where you went wrong before you got dead. (laughs) Another little boy, age eight, says that angels live in cloud houses made by God and his son, who is a very good carpenter. (laughs) Antonio, age nine, says that all angels are girls. Because they got to wear dresses and boys didn't go for that. (laughs) Sarah at age seven says, you know what I don't get about angels? Is why when someone is in love, they shoot arrows at them. (laughs) And then Gregory, age five, is pretty convinced that all the angels have names. But he says, I only know two of them, Hark and Harold. And perhaps you recognize the names, Ralph, Imogene, Leroy, Claude, Ollie, and Gladys. The characters in the best Christmas pageant ever, the Herdman kids. And according to the story, they were absolutely the worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls. And they talked dirty and they hit little kids and they cussed their teachers and they took the name of the Lord in vain and they set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken down tool house. They were just so thoroughly awful, you could hardly believe that they were real. But if you remember the story, they ended up by mistake, pretty much, in the church's Christmas pageant after bullying all the other kids out of their parts. And the youngest herdman, who was Gladys, she's the meanest of the bunch, she plays the part of the angel who announces the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in her intimidating style, Hey! Hey, unto you, a Savior is born. The implication, wake up, this is important. Somehow even Gladys understood the significance of that message. And of course we know the, uh, the rest of that part of the Christmas story. That angel was joined by what Luke says was a great company of angels. Suddenly they appeared with the angel praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace. Boy, now there's a word. There's a concept. So many people in so many places in our world long for peace. Do they not? Newtown, Connecticut. Somalia, Syria, Gaza. 
Afghanistan, Myanmar, Mexico, just to name a few places where violence is causing all kinds of pain and disruption and death. And in the midst of that, people have the nerve to continue singing around the world in this season about the good news of a Savior and something about glory to God and peace on earth, and it just all gets kind of muddled up. And I think that there is some clarification that is desperately needed. Peace. Because frankly, I think many folks in the world will hear those words in this season, and they're wondering, really? Peace? When and where does that happen? My life and this world are a mess, they might say. Which is exactly what the people of Jerusalem would have been thinking 500 years before the birth of Jesus when that old fellow named Isaiah, the prophet, was walking the streets proclaiming those words that have been our Advent text. Allow me to read it for you this morning. It's last time for us in this Advent season. And we're going to, in a few minutes, move to a very non-Advent, non-Christmas text, but one that is so, I think, important for us to understand this idea of peace. Isaiah said, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. This was good news to a people, as we've learned, who were living in a very politically uncertain and unstable time. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know what? All those folks who were living in Jerusalem scattered around the streets listening to this old prophet make that proclamation. They died without seeing the fulfillment of that prophecy. And just a few generations later, the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of the great kings, sacked and burned by the Babylonians. Gone. 500 years later, when Jesus, the one of whom that prophecy is spoken, the Prince of Peace, when he was born, the Jews were again living in a very harsh, a very non-peaceful environment. And the Prince of Peace... He didn't fix it. In fact, at one point, he even announced to those that were listening, 
I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. Oh, now there's some good news. Yahoo! Just who we were looking for. What is up with that? And then, about 40 years after his life, Jerusalem was destroyed again. This time, by the Romans. Peace? Are you kidding? History, both before and after the life of Jesus, reveals a sick saga of repeated violence. Atrocity piled on top of atrocity. And I think a very legitimate question that might be asked by some this time of the year would be, what exactly does the birth of Jesus, this one called the Prince of Peace, have to do with peace on the earth? I'm not seeing it. And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. And everything. Absolutely nothing and everything. You see, very often in the wonderful, sort of warm, fuzzy sentiment of this season, the precise order of the words spoken by that angel to those shepherds, the precise order, it's missed. And they are really important. The order in which it happens. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see any blanket statements there about peace on earth? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a nice song. It's theologically nonsense. And on earth, peace to those. Peace to those. So there's not, there's not the promise of peace on earth. There is a promise that there will be peace to some who live on earth, specifically to those upon whom God's favor rests. Anyone want to just take a stab in the dark about who those might be? children of God, the people of God. How's the peace factor in your life, oh, people of God? Recipients of His amazing, undeserved grace, out of which flows salvation. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Have you ever heard these words before? I don't think it was Shakespeare. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Words spoken by none other than the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, 
This is not a statement of merit. It's important to understand that. Jesus is not saying, if you are a peacemaker, you get to bear the title, child of God. Congratulations. Not at all. It is a statement of identity. Jesus is saying that the life that those who are his followers, those who are children of God, the life that those people live will be a life of peacemaking in relationships. Because where does peace happen? It happens in relationships. Where do wars cease when people put down their guns? Where do arguments cease when people close their mouths and stop saying hateful things? You see, peace happens in relationships. So it's a statement of identity that those who are the people of God as they live lives of peacemaking in the relationships that are part of their lives, will be seen by others. And their actions of peacemaking will identify them as the people of God. Wow. You're a peacemaker. You must be a child of God. Make sense? Statement of identity. So let's get to the heart of this this morning with a non-Christmas text. I hope you'll forgive me. But this is such a perfect text to help us understand what's going on with this idea of peace. Help us understand, I think, the peace that the Prince of Peace brings. So let's stand together. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just jump right in, and I'll remind you briefly of where Paul has been here. Let's read together. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are becoming built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Can you say, wow? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, or potentially to churches in Ephesus, because it was also a region, primarily filled with Gentiles, with Greeks, with a sprinkling of some Jews who were, who were added in. And it was a blending, or hopefully a blending, a harmonious blending, of two people groups in that fellowship uh, who had great animosity, or at least a great history of animosity toward one another. The Jews were, were often prideful of their heritage as the people of God. They were prideful about the law which had been given to them as the people of God. The law that, that prescribed for them the, uh, the conditions and the actions by which they could live in relationship to God and gain His favor. And the Gentiles were quite often disgusted by the pride that the Jews felt in all of this. And so ironically, what was happening, at least in this church or churches in Ephesus, was that, that the Greeks, the Gentiles, became a bit prideful themselves. And they became a bit disdainful of the Jews who insisted upon certain practices because they were brand new into this concept of God's grace. This idea that, that God saves sinful people and that there's nothing that they do to deserve that. And they celebrated God's grace. And the truth is, they gloated in God's grace. And it was kind of a, nana, 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 we're children of God too. Nothing you can do about it. So it was a less than peaceful situation in the church in Ephesus. Key verses that we just read together, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you Gentiles who are being a bit haughty about this situation yourselves, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see what Paul is doing. He's emphasizing a theme that they know well. Grace that comes through the blood of Christ and reminding them that apart from that, they were hopeless and helpless. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And then he says this, for he himself is our 
peace. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Okay, this is going to require just a, a minute or two neighbor discussion, okay? So I want you to put on your theological thinking caps, and I want you to turn to someone next to you, and I want you to talk to them about the meaning of those words, for he himself is our peace. What do you think, knowing what you do about the situation, what do you think Paul is saying? What is he emphasizing here? For he himself is our peace. Ask your neighbor what they think. What do you think? What did you and your neighbor being theologically astute people, what did you come up with? He himself is our peace. What is Paul saying? Okay, good observation. I'd take that maybe just a step further and say not only does it give us peace in terms of what we're feeling, but it actually establishes peace for us in terms of a relationship. What else? Are you sure about that? Okay. Right on. I agree with you. (laughs) Who else? I saw another hand. You know, in, in a sense, there, there's, there's some of that language in the text that we read. You know, he has, he has broken down the dividing wall. That sense that this, and, and the emphasis that we don't want to miss in this text is continuously on what God has done. What is going on here? You know, I mean, Paul is, is being clear that this is not something that we do. This is not something that we can do. This is something that God has done. And when Paul, who is a Jew, speaks about peace, he would have had that Hebrew concept of shalom firmly in mind. For Paul, there is no other peace. For Paul, as a Jew, he understood that shalom really has very little to do with exterior circumstances. You know, a a person can be at peace when chaos is just reigning around them. Paul understands that shalom has to do with the presence of God. When you read through the Old Testament, there is often talk about peace, but peace is always linked to the presence of God. There is no true peace. There are artificial. There's, there's artificial peace. There's, there's semblance of peace. There's, there's the absence of violence. Uh, there's the ceasefire for a while. But there is no true and lasting peace apart from the presence of God. Where God is, there is peace. And so, all through the Old Testament, psalmist is, is big on this. The person who takes shelter in the presence of God, trusting in His goodness, trusting in His character, as we've looked at earlier in this series, that person will find peace. They will have peace. They will experience peace. And it really has very little to do with the circumstances. You know, the, you know the story of Horatio Spofford, you know, the writer of It Is Well With My Soul. Lost his family with the exception of his wife in a ship that 
that sank the Atlantic in the 1800s. And the story is that his wife sent him a cable in those days after he'd heard about the the loss of the ship. The cable had two words, saved alone. And the story goes that he, he, he took the next ship across the ocean to be with his wife. And when he reached the point in the ocean where approximately the ship that went down that had his daughters and so many others on it. It was that inspiration, that moment, when he wrote it as well, with my soul. Just lost his kids. Terrible tragedy. It is well with my soul. I will suggest to you that that is shalom. That is precisely what Paul has in mind. It is about well-being. It is about a sense of security. All is well no matter what is happening in my life. That is shalom and that is the peace that the Prince of Peace, very Jewish himself, was bringing into the world. So just for a few minutes, let's make, let's make a couple of observations from this passage together. First, the peace that Paul has in mind is shalom that flows from a mended relationship between God and the individual. The peace that Christ brings to those on whom God's favor rests is a well-being of their soul because all is well in their relationship to God. Paul says we were without hope. We were without God in the world. That's a faraway place. That is a hopeless place. But he says, in Christ we have been brought near. Now you remember, we have studied Ephesians chapter 2, the early verses together before. And do you remember how Paul describes The lost in that text, by nature, objects of wrath. That's really bad news. By nature, objects of wrath. What he's saying is is that in our very nature, everything that we think, everything that we do, places us in opposition against the holiness of God. We are by nature, objects of wrath. We are born into it. We are born into it. Paul makes it clear in his other letters, we kind of lay over the top of what we're reading, that all of humanity is estranged from God. The grim news of Scripture is that people are sinful by choice, they have rejected God by choice, and thus they are separated by God and they are subject to His holy wrath. That's the bad news. The good news is that God is not satisfied with that. And that the Prince of Peace, His Son, comes into the world to reconcile, to restore, to mend what has been broken. Isaiah, the same old prophet that we've been reading together, says later on in his his book, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. The 
punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Paul in Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified by faith, that is, putting our trust in what God says is true about us and what is true about his salvation, putting our trust and our confidence, our faith in that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, you're looking pretty excited about this this morning. This is that familiar thing. Yeah, 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 we know it. Well, wake up. Man, descriptions of being brought from a faraway place. Descriptions of being brought from a place of being an object of wrath into the grace of God. And you did nothing to deserve that. God did it all. Brought into the family of God. It is, John. It ought to hurt our heads. And that ought to wake us up. Get a headache and wake up. Okay? The family of God, we are brought into that through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. So the Scripture always has much to say about peace. It is a shalom of the primary relationship. It is between a holy God and a sinful, rebellious creature. Shalom. And the whole point, my friends, the whole point of this Christmas story that we celebrate every year is the story of God's entering into human history. Why was that baby born? To die. To bring us peace. With who? With the one we were in big trouble with. The peace that Christ brings is, is first and foremost a gift from God through Christ that makes things right with God. And when things are right with God, then things are right no matter what. Theoretically, we understand that. But practically speaking, it gets lost in the fuzzy familiar. When things are right with God, then things are right. So, what about peace on earth? Well, there's always the nature of prophecy that is the now and the not yet. Sometimes it's difficult to discern between the two, but I think in this one it's, it's pretty clear. Will there be peace on earth? Someday, someday when the prince returns and puts the final chapter in the book. <laughs> I know it. Uh, all, <laughs> all those folks. Oh, can I just tell you a, a, an awful joke? that I have told everybody in my family, but that is, you just have to hear this. It, it, it makes a mockery of it. The, uh, the, the Gary Larson comic of the two Mayans, and the one is chiseling away on the stone, and it's covered with dates, and he's down near the bottom, 
and there's hardly any room left. And he says, oh, man, I ran out of room. And his friend says, bummer, that's really going to freak some people out. (laughs) We're still here. God's grace is still at work on this earth in us. And that's where we go with the idea of, of peace on earth. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> a lot of chiseling to die. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right, Rick. Yeah, it, it, God's intent was not peace on the earth. God's intent was peace in a broken relationship that could only be restored and made possible by Him. It then becomes our responsibility, if you will. Paul told the Romans, as far as it is possible with you, and, and, and the church in Rome was, they, they were a bunch like, like the Ephesians. You know, a, a mix of believers and a lot of animosity. Paul says, as far as it's possible with you, the language there is, do whatever is needed on your part. Be at peace with all people. As far as it's possible with you, be at peace with all people. How's that work? Well, I think it starts with understanding again what it is that God has done for us in Christ. You know, we need to hear those words in our text that we were far away. We were hopeless. We were objects of wrath. And God has brought us into this relationship that is peace-filled. And that is the relationship that we are called to live our lives out of. You see the picture? The the witness of different people, different personalities, different lifestyles, different traditions, different habits, living peacefully together. It, It really hearkens to the words of Jesus that we've seen many times over the years in John 13 and John 17. Oneness and unity and love. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples. The world's going to know that you're my followers by the way that you love one another. I would suggest to you that there is really no loving one another until we really understand the peace that we have been given with God through Christ Jesus. We had a big party last night. My son Luke married Jessica. Man, that was great fun. I have to tell you, Jessica did the funniest thing months ago on the night of their engagement. And I think I've told some of you this, this story. Luke had put the ring on her finger and it had happened outside, you know, in, in the, the kind of the green space, the open space behind her house. And we were back in the house. And, of course, the room is filled with conversation. And Jess is sitting over here and Luke is sitting next to her. And, and I think it might have been... Uh, Kelsey or one of his siblings said, so you guys are engaged. When's the wedding? And Luke's response was, well, we haven't really talked about that since we just got engaged. And then he says, but I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe this fall or maybe Christmas. What do you think, Jess? Here sits Jess staring at her ring. She's been doing this for, for, you know, quite some time during the evening, coupled with the expressions of, 
I'm engaged. I'm engaged. So what do you think, Jess? And as she's enamored with her ring, she says, whatever, Luke. Whatever you want, whenever you want, that'll be fine. That is a picture of God's people living the life of peacemakers when they understand what God has done for them in Christ. Because what is it, my brothers and sisters, that makes for lack of peace between us? It's misunderstandings. It's hurt feelings. It's I didn't get my way. Or I'm mad because you have said something about me that that hurt me. All kinds of disagreements. The lists are endless. The heart of a peacemaker understands what God has done for them. And their response is, whatever. That's fine. Shalom. It is well with my soul. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in my life. Those of you who are parents can remember the days when you would say to your kids, now, make up, hug, and say I'm sorry. And they said they were sorry. All you had were the words, there was no shalom there. In Christ, my friends, we have more than words. We have shalom. We have the real deal. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why the baby came, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace who would become beast between sinful humanity and holy God so that those who were sinful suddenly find themselves in the family of God and they go, wow, do I have a life to live for the sake of all those who watch us and don't have that peace. Do you notice the name? It's Prince of Peace. A prince rules. A prince reigns. How's he ruling in your life? Is he reigning in your life? Are you confident in his sovereignty over your circumstances? Are you confident in his provision? Are you confident in his goodness? Are you confident that your soul is secure regardless of what the circumstances look like? That is the peace that the Prince of Peace brings to your life. May we embrace it. May we not hope against hope for peace on earth. It's not happening. But peace in our lives has happened in Christ Jesus so that we might bring that to others for the sake of God's glory. Amen. Praise team, come on up. Lead us as we respond. Father, these are hard words because we are fallen creatures, redeemed, greatly loved in Christ Jesus, but, but fallen. Father, we ask that your spirit would, would just uh, blow out the cobwebs
and uh, give us that headache that wakes us up to the amazing truth of what you've done for us by your grace in Christ Jesus. May we become a people who live in shalom so that we live out shalom to all those around us who desperately need to know you and be recipients of that same amazing grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The Prince of Peace. Amen.